Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is an ABC podcast. If you're an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, we want you to know that we use the names of some people who have died in this episode. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. I've got so much to say today, I could be filibusting. <laughs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Alicia Sometimes. Back in the house. Welcome back. Oh, wow. I'm Felicity Race. Hi, Alicia. Ooh, pumped. So <laughs> so nice to meet you again. Yeah. It's been a while. You're the quiet one? I think so. Hashtag get your flu shot. Yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God, I've got to do that. You're not a real Dr. Lucy. That's not true. <laughs> Where is the doctor? The doctor is not in the house. She has actually arrived home from Washington, D.C., where she's just been geeking out over all of the, you know... Museums. Museums and... and, um, Politic-talking ladies and men. The Space Force, is she part of that? Probably. I feel like you are. You're Uh, all about space. Trump should call me. Yeah. Why not? Mm. Uh, Anyway, we've got loads to get through this morning. So much has been happening and we have been feeling the love of the community of the outer this week and we um, are pleased to be with you to be able to kind of reflect what's happened in the last week since we were sitting in these seats or lying in our cold and flu bed, Alicia. so let's get into it. Reflections on the round that was. It was 350 games for Sean Burgoyne. He managed to kick a cracking goal. It was a beautiful celebration and it was shocking to me that Hawthorne managed to get up um, in that third quarter because sitting there, Nicole and I were watching the game together. The first half was probably one of the worst first halves of football I've ever seen. Oh, wasn't it flat? I was not feeling inspired at all. But yeah, that third quarter, that premiership quarter, they really uh, took it to them and the Crows did fall apart quite a bit actually. It was a a shame to see. But I have to say, Sean Burgoyne, I know there's been quite a lot of talk in the lead up, but I I've did a bit of reading about him, more reading, and, and he's just one of the most underappreciated players out there. For a start, okay, only the 16th uh, VFL slash AFL player to hit the 350 mark, but also he's this incredible professional when it comes to his football. He does not do anything that he's not supposed to do. And it, there's a story about um, him, his wife um, needing to move the couch or they were talking about moving the couch. And he wouldn't, he rang Andrew Russell, the fitness <laughs> condition um, uh, manager at Hawthorne and asked him for permission whether it would be okay for him to move the couch because he's com- very concerned with injury. This is all, don't worry, this is in a story, a public story. And Andrew Russell said, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Burgoyne thought about that for a little bit, but then he got his wife and another friend to do it anyway, just in case. So if we want to know why he has so many records in terms of um, not being injured, I think there's a little clue there. And um, Ruffy says he does about 80% of what he's supposed to do in terms of at the club because he will not overload ever. And so even when the other players are mucking about after training, he will not play indoor cricket or he simply – everything's about preserving his condition. Well, it's like an emergency plane thing. He's protect, you know, the oxygen mask come down. He's looking after himself first and then <laughs> looking at the team. I'm not convinced that I like him better now from that story. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chew the damn couch. I mean, honestly. It's, the damn couch. it's like a racehorse. I heard that he doesn't eat any chocolate, that he no. gave up chocolate, and I was like, for me, that really tipped me over the edge for him. I was Nothing. like, that is so selfless. Mm. So selfless. The moving of the couch, less so, though. But no. how did you guys go with Hawthorne and the World Cup on at the same time? Because I was flick, 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 <laughs> flick, flick. We were at the flick, game flick. freezing, so we well, had no choice. This was the thing, because not only was there the World Cup and AFL, but there was was a Wallabies game, yep. and then people pointed out there was cricket, cricket. and I just wanted mm. to say... No, it's cold. It's like we're in winter here. Mm. Well, the cricket did Jettison come on cricket. later. Mm. Um, we were trying to play multiple screens, but we were doing it with... Hi, Dad. Um, Dad <laughs> operating the remote um, oh. down at... The, oh, yeah, <laughs> you did a really... A no, you did a great job, but it was... <laughs> Loud? Just hard. <laughs> it was hard to watch. Oh, Neil, sorry. I know you listen. Bless you. did you. a really great job, Dad. Thank you. Can you split screens? I'm sure you can, but not on that technology that we, we did were get using. Lots of great people on Facebook chiming in about how they were managing it. And someone did send us that great shot of a screen with a little pip, I think it's called, where you have the little screen in the bottom. It's the mega wall. Uh, That's what you're so talking clever. about. It's a mega wall at home. I was watching, I was trying to check it on the mobile phone, yes. but actually Nicole and I just talked the whole <laughs> way through that game. I reckon we did. We filibustered that game. Absolutely. We talked like four hours. I thought the person in front of us was going to turn around and say, can you ladies please be quiet? <laughs> we covered off so many times. Topics. But that's excellent. what's really annoying about women at the football. They shouldn't go. They women shouldn't go, go, go to watch the game. Do you remember when that guy wanted to knock our heads together at the rugby that night? Absolutely. What? Yes. Yep. He said, you girls have been talking all night. Do you never see each other? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> if only he knew. But if you had the footy and you had a certain uh, phone provider, you couldn't really watch the soccer. So oh, isn't it amazing had, yeah. that yeah. Australia is so, you know, the soccer is so important, football is so important that it gets mentions in, in mm. Parliament. Mm, that's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Hey, speaking of dads, how was your dad after St Kilda's big win, Alicia? He came, uh, he uh, watched it somewhere, came home and then re-watched it and mum said that he got up at four o'clock in the morning and watched it again. <laughs> so who does that three times? I understand twice. But three times. He's waited a long time for a success yeah. like that, you know, hasn't he? Yeah, and sometimes when you don't actually believe something's occurred, <laughs> <laughs> you want to really. Plus, yeah, did plus, I dream that? There might have been a lot of other sport, but it was still the bye round, and they played one game on Thursday night. So it's not like there was heaps of football to watch over true, the weekend. No, no. I'm going to call that three wins in a row yeah, for your dad. Right. <laughs> um, yes, there was a lot of other interesting things happening in the round. Lucy, have you got some observations? I do. I have a little commentary watch, which I'm. <laughs> I'm only going to do one because I Kate's shoes are too big to fill, but this is Nick Del Santo is worthy of a quote. And he said something like this. I'm not a doctor, but I would have thought roughly 100% of concussions are head concussions. Oh, well called. He's a doctor. And I think mm. he's correct. Yeah. No, Doc- he's Dr. Nick. It was, re- <laughs> <laughs> it was reminiscent of Felicity's 100% of bathroom accidents occur in the bathroom. It sounds a lot mm. like it. Yeah. I, I'm that- not good at maths. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think back to the time when I had a knee concussion. No, it's just not, <laughs> no. It's not happening. I did used to enjoy doing a joke about how Dermot Braddon had plastic surgery on his knee, on his face knee. The, oh, that joke didn't I don't work. know what that Sorry. means. What you might want mean? to work on that. Can we cut that uh, out? Look, <laughs> there's one thing pressing from the week I was away, and I'll just say this quickly. Does Jack Rewalt shave his legs? Ooh. Probably. Mm. I think lots of footballers yeah. do. They there's say no shame in no, it. No, well, a lot of people say Does anyone in this room shave their legs? <laughs> Not in winter. Not really. Who does? No, no. Could be bothered. Be bothered. Oh, old Prickly over there has got a new boyfriend. She does. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, oh, the quiet one. That's funny. <laughs> we think Again, so. Again, hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> Nicole, you mooted something last weekend, that last week, that was quite brilliant. It was 1-800-Dial-An-Umpire, <laughs> and it looks like it might have legs too. It does. So first I just want to say that I did get some love about my concerns with the boundary rule. Andy, Anya, Andy, thank you for having my back, said it's bugged him for a while too. That's great. And there's two of you then. There's two of us <laughs> and requ- demanded a throw in. So, no, there's actually three because there was someone last year too, the last time I Brilliant. brought it up, okay, and my great. husband. So make it full. The movement is growing. It's Huge. enormous. Um, Tidal wave. But in following, there was follow-up from Stefan Grun, who is the um, umpire, the former AFL umpire, who Lucy and I um, ear-bashed for an awfully long time at the Pride game last week. 
And he tweeted to say he can't wait to start answering what's your decision questions in real time on Twitter, that he's just lodged his help desk, desk permit and registered 1800 umpire. Um, and <laughs> also, <laughs> so. I love it. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it could really take off. He also wanted us to add a segment on the pod. But here's the thing is I actually decided to ring after the um, con- the umpire contact mm, question, dusty. you know, the, the changes in those rules or not changes, whatever it is. I did actually call 1-800-UMPIRE and this is all I got. We are the mighty, glorious referees. We are the pride of rugby never tasted victory, but we decide who wins each week. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so we're getting crickets at the 1-800 umpire, but I, I'm sure Stefan will step up. He was really, he really ran with that concept. <laughs> I was surprised that he listened. But, you know, I heard you just say before we rang the number um, that he was queen keen to have a segment on the show. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm all for that as well. Okay, ladies, are we ready to melee? It's been impossible to ignore that there's been some huge, um, horrible news came out from our Princess Park this week and we um, have all been really moved and rocked and shocked and horrified by what happened to... Eurydice Dixon on her way home from a gig. She was walking home um, across Princess Park, which you will know is the site of the the home of the Carlton Blues, AFLW team and AFLM team too, I suppose, and um, the site of the lockout game for uh, AFLW season one. And we've all been so shocked, I guess, by what happened, but then the repercussions and the ripples that have followed on about um, conversations about violence against women and and people chipping in with not all men, uh, which we acknowledge. Um, I actually wrote something on Instagram and you guys have been amazing um, with all of the support on socials, but I wrote about the celebration and empowerment that Princess Park represented to me and to us in this room and to a lot of people who like AFLW. Um, Lucy and I went to the vigil and watching people flock to the vigil felt like seeing the AFLW lockout moment in reverse. You know, it felt like we were rewinding the tape somehow. And it was not lost on me as I was standing there paying my respects to that one girl and to the 30 women who have lost their lives um, because of violence against women and gendered violence this year, that we were also standing on the site of what was probably mass murder of Wurundjeri women um, and that we know that the media doesn't respond and the community doesn't respond in the same way when a woman of colour dies. That has not been lost on me either and that as yet there's been no vigil in Campsie for Kui and there was no vigil for Ms Du who died in custody in WA that it was apparent to me that if you were a disabled woman, if you were impaired in some way, you couldn't see or hear or run or speak, how much more terrifying this story would be. So I just want to acknowledge that there are women and men feeling the power and the pain of this and that we understand that this moment in time is hopefully going to be a huge moment for society to step up and listen and for men to accept that this is a man's issue. Violence against women is a man's issue as much, if not more, than it is a women's issue. I, of course, came home from the vigil just in time to catch Wayne Carey fronting up yet another Channel 7 show um, where he talks about our national game that we love. And I had to stop myself from tweeting that very sentence because I feel like I'm going mad every time I see him talking about our national game. And I didn't tweet that because I was scared that I would get hate speech and rape threats and death threats, which I think we all have established Mm -hmm. is what happens when you speak out like that. But I knew that I could say it here on the pod and just to say that his name is constantly talked about on our socials and I even said to Nicole maybe two weeks ago, how is it we don't open the pod every single week by talking about that mere fact? Mm. Um, But we know that that won't get us anywhere. So 
I'm looking to try and find solutions to the way that that fries my brain. So what I thought is there's a lot of talk about how you get in the Hall of Fame and whether it's things that should happen on the field or off the field. And all I could think is, you know what, Wayne Carey is a man who has lived through this from a really unique perspective, maybe not unique enough, but he, we keep hearing that he's been rehabilitated. Wouldn't it be amazing if instead of us sitting here querying why he gets to head up the broadcast of our national game, if Channel 7 or Wayne Carey, in fact, stood up and said, this is the reason why, this is what I know, this is how, what I lived, this is what I've learnt, this is how I've been rehabilitated, let me be the person that stands up and says, I used to get it wrong and now I don't get it wrong, come with me, let me show you, because we know he has a huge megaphone and he has more than one show on Channel 7. Um, and then I think that's the kind of behaviour that I could see that would open the door for someone like him to be put into the Hall of Fame. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Um, I, I, the thing that's been on my mind is why... How do we? How does this link with sport? Because when you know, I can talk about violence against women from you know a lot of different perspectives. But in this particular forum, I want to bring it back to sport. And I went back to that video from Our Watch, which is just wonderful because it really steps through a lot of things. And I just want to read one quote from that video that says, "When women and men have equal power." value and opportunities in sport and in society, violence against women is less likely. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the, the figures behind that, but what we do know is that Our Watch has done the research and um, everything that comes out of that organisation is very well bedded in research. Where I kind of get to then is that that's why the conversations that we have about equality in sport are so important. It's why we're so upset when we know that there are zero female coaches in the AFLW. And it's why I tweeted just something small about the fact that if you want to, if you want to really get a sense of what's out there in terms of the way that people think about women, all you need to do is go and have a look at the comments section on any article written about women's sport. And just to prove a point, I yesterday just randomly picked an article out of the Herald Sun. It was about the explosion of grassroots um, football for women. And here's a random selection of the comments underneath that. Please, and I'm quoting here, please don't pretend the AFLW is a sporting phenomenon. If they want to play, okay, but why all the hoo-ha? Women's football is laughable. It's the AFL's part of the AFL's PC crusade. Um, another person envisages legal battles over infertility because women are playing contact sport. And just to finish off with another one that says um, they just need to find another name so that it's not confused with our great game of Australian rules. Now, I know that it doesn't, it doesn't achieve anything for us to just sit and pick over all of those comments and say, you know, that's, that's unfair and, or, you know, that's incorrect or to get so angry. But the reason that it makes us so angry is that we know out there that there is a, there is a feeling of, I guess, pushback every time women start to take some space or try to... Um, to achieve some equality and that's actually what really frightens me because that's what's happening in people's minds and that's what people are saying when they're not um, they they can hide behind the anonymity of a comment section in a newspaper and what you're saying what you've chosen there are horrific and they're the mild comments and it's just what I'm thinking and what I've been reading it's not about censorship with the newspapers it is a civic responsibility to cut out the threats Mm. or violent language the gendered language and just the the horrible views and the anti-PC comments and what I'd like to say on that Alicia is that from this particular newspaper who you know, who covered the vigil the other night and, you know, wrung their hands. And of course, and I I know that, you know, a lot of people that would write for the newspaper or who would work on the newspaper would be feeling the same way as us as well. But surely there is some kind of moral imperative to, to think about how you're contributing to the conversation. And when you don't moderate comments on 
newspaper articles, you actually give rise to mm. this festering kind of hate and sexism. Mm. It's a kind of endorsement, isn't it? Yeah, and when you see that play out in real life is when someone graffitis a massive cock and balls next to a memorial of a girl <sighs> who's just been raped and murdered in a park, which is what we saw this week. Mm. And that's the embodiment of people who think that they have a right to speak like mm. that. And that's why it's so important that we do call out language and we do challenge people on those kinds of attitudes. You know, I think some of it too is about making those links for people that, um, you know, we saw, um, you know, people like Daniel Harford come out this week with comments uh, that, you know, obviously he's never looked up terminology that's being used. Um, you know, he, he obviously thought and has now come to understand that he was wrong. He thought that when people say toxic masculinity, they meant all men are toxic yeah. as opposed to one aspect of that can be this. Um, and it's it has been interesting, you know, watching him acknowledge that actually I'm learning a lot here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, But not I, before there was yeah. a lot of abuse. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of abuse angled at Ange Pippos, who exactly. he had quote tweeted. And on that, I just, I was perplexed by that. And I think I'm seeing that Daniel is taking on what has been said to him on Twitter, uh, but he has ignited the Tiki Torch Brigade who've now mm. come out and said, like, good on you, Daniel. You really took it to exactly. her. And the thing that gets me the most is we've heard that men are getting these coaching positions not because of their gender but because they've got the best experience because they're the best people for the job. And I really want to ask you guys this question. If an AFLW coach doesn't understand, has never heard the term toxic masculinity and therefore cannot work at helping break that down, do they subsequently understand what the AFLW means to the players? Because I saw those AFLW Carlton girls, they filed past me at the vigil and they were torn up. Can he lead them if he doesn't understand what it is, has never heard of it, has never done the research, is only learning it now? Can he lead women in this sport, in this arena? Do you think that that's something that should have is that not what they talk? He has do, a lot what of do work they talk to do. about? I would say he's not the best person for the job. No, because That's it's clearly it. an unknown unknown for him. So what other unknown unknowns are sitting there? Absolutely. And he was the most woke candidate. That's what we heard about the process. Mm. He was the one that I, I know so much about women, and we keep hearing that. But look at the runs on the board. This. This is the moment that shines the torch and says, you know, you don't get a female coach walking in there who's never heard of toxic masculinity, one that's been working in football. And you just think of someone like Patrick Hill, who's so aware, um, the VFLW coach for Hawthorne, who is so aware of... The, the complexity around coaching women, about the power dynamic between gender, the notion of a man yelling at a woman is so different. And, you know, old school coaching, so, so different to a woman, you know, a man yelling at men. And, you know, that's the kind of um, attitude a, an, an AFLW coach needs to bring into, um, you know, to actually bring awareness and to have that education. I was even at the point where I wanted to say I would love to see the 10 male coaches of the AFLW teams stand up Mm. against violence against women. Yes. But then I saw that tweet and I realised they probably don't even understand the problem. It should be part of the job requirement. It should be up there. It's Mm. not about the ball skills. And, of course, no one's questioning whether Daniel Harford would be a good coach with the the ball. That's not it. It's Mm. about leading a team and leading the AFLW. Exactly. And, you know, going back to that point of connection, it's about actually – making that connection to say you, you cannot be a man who's worked in football for all of those years and played football for the, all those years and say that you have never once stood by or watched um, when someone's made a disrespectful joke or watched a disrespectful act or um, used a female term as an insult. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen that. You've watched that. You've probably partaken in it, um, you know, in terms of events you may have been at. Unless every single time you have stood up and said, actually, this is uncool, this is disrespectful, then this is the connections we're talking about, saying that nobody's suggesting that these men are all violent. Nobody's saying that. What we're saying is unless you actually start by standing up each and every time um, and not letting it go past, then you're part of the the whole concept where, you know, disrespect grows and is allowed to breed and nobody has worked you know, you show me one person who's worked in the AFL for as long as 
some of these um, these men have who has never witnessed that and just watched. And lang- language is so important. And um, my I spent um, Friday night a, a little caught up in a Twitter debate, which is always something I regret afterwards. <laughs> um, it's like eating twenty miles by donuts. It really yeah. is, but it's not even not even no, as fun. Not it's really not a good comparison. Um, and one particular gentleman was very vehement and refusing to back down and there were several women um, beseeching him actually with their own experiences and being very forthcoming in really I think far far more generously than perhaps he deserved but he really did present as quite reasonable at the beginning and and so I fell down that hole his quote that the tweet that kind of shut me down eventually or at least reminded me how pointless this can be sometimes was that he said non-violent men aren't going to get involved while people not just women are blaming all of us for a few um this is what you're just you were just talking about felicity um my response to that was that we've spent our lives avoiding empty streets, dark car parks, empty trains or choosing to stay home because there's no safe option. We've been hounded, harassed, insulted, humiliated and attacked too many times to count and that I'm sorry to all those men who are feeling uncomfortable or offended, but we're worried we might die. And so when it comes to sensitivity and consideration, I'm probably particularly on you know a Friday night in the wake of what's just happened, we're probably going to be a little less tiptoey around the feelings of people who are largely immune to a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, but what bothered me the most was that women were, you know, there's several women involved in this conversation were literally begging for help um, to help make it stop. And his response was effectively, say pretty please. Oh. Yeah, that's just power. Um, so I guess what I want to say is if anyone's hesitating or resisting actions because your feelings are hurt or you're offended by the language around the debate, I'm going to question whether you're really committed to change. I think that you, if you genuinely want things to be better, you would see beyond that, rise above it and realise that the greater good is at, is at stake. But if you... Want some advice? I did um, find see a, an amazing um, post by Natalie Conyu, who's an academic and a writer, and it's just a few points about things that, if you are genuinely concerned for men in particular, things that you can do to help change the conversation around women and gender. Number one is to stop consuming media content which demeans, objectifies, or trivialises women. Think of movies, books, TV shows. Same issue for content that doesn't feature women in a meaningful way. Um, Call out bad behaviour in other men, obviously, and this includes jokes and sexual comments. Agitate for women's work to be taken seriously and to be better remunerated. There are yearly protests for those in the childcare sector, for example. Go to them. Show up. Don't talk over your female colleagues in meetings. Listen to them and call out the men who do talk over them. If you're offered something at work, a bonus, promotion or a chance at leadership, ask if the same opportunity has been extended to your female colleagues. If not, say no. Agitate for better paternity leave. This is a big one. Too much domestic and caring labour is seen as women's work. Recommend women for professional opportunities and support them in that. Vote for political parties who campaign for gender equity, who have gender parity in their parties and take an interest in the lives of women and girls around you. Listen resist the urge to interrupt. And she acknowledges that this is just a small list, but these are really practical things that you can do every single day to help change the conversation. And what you're saying about listening is how many of us as women have listened to when uh, men are talking about their feelings and what they're going through and how they feel. We sit back and we listen all the time. The good men, of course, they listen too. But what I was hearing from a lot of good men is that they were frightened on the streets too. They're more likely to die than women. But who's perpetrating it? Men. Um, they are a bit scared to look at themselves and say, okay, just because I'm not going to do this violence, other uh, men might, and that it is therefore a male problem and that it is about to- toxic masculinity and horrible uh Horrible violence and that only a tiny amount of people are going to do this, but what are you going to do about it? So step up. Yeah. I saw some um, some beautiful um, threads through Twitter of what men actually do to make women feel safe and it was really lovely And um, reading this whole thing of men saying, whenever I'm walking along a street at night, if there's a lady in front of me um, or a female in front of me, 
I will cough loudly, I'll cross to the other side of the road or I'll say, don't want to alarm you, I'm just going past. Um, and this whole group of men going, oh, yeah, I do that when I'm jogging, like I will never um, sneak up, you know, I'll always like announce it. Other men say, oh, I get out my phone and pretend to be talking to my mum because I think I'll be less threatening. Um, men do modify their behaviour and are, are doing it the whole time, you know, and um, to, to also try and create, you know, a sense of safety as well. And, you know, I, I thought that was a really, I, I've never considered that. And I think that's a, a beautiful community that does that. One thing that was really apparent when um, I saw the photo for the MND slide was, of course, we're always talking about how there's only male coaches in the AFLW, but I noticed that there was no Indigenous coaches that are coaching the AFLM. And that is a very significant query. I also heard Caroline Wilson talking about that on her podcast that she does with Corey Perkin. And I thought, I really hope that someone's deep diving into this and digging into it. And then, of course, an article popped up, Lucy. It saw did. It. Mark McGowan has written a really comprehensive piece on the lack of Indigenous coaches in the AFL. He sets the scene that in 2018, the average senior coach is 46 years old, male and white, and explains that there's only three active Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, Islander coaches in the AFL. This is... when 10% of players are Indigenous. So Mark asks the question why and what's being done. He notes that the AFL isn't an isolated case and looks at the 2012 survey that says something like less than 1% of full-time coaching roles in Australia are filled by somebody who's an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. The AFL have identified this as an issue and they employed Mark Williams as a consultant. His view is that it should be mandated that there's an Indigenous coach on every AFL team because that would be beneficial for ongoing growth as well as cultural understanding. And the AFL Commissioner Commission are yet to decide on how they're going to implement his findings. What's really interesting in this article is the broad range of opinions that McGowan explores, both on the question of to mandate or not to mandate, but he also quotes Tanya Hosh, who's the AFL's General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy, who's, and she says, until a large number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people indicate that coaching is something they want, it's not going to be one of my highest priorities. He explores why coaching is not necessarily seen as an option for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Um, Tanya says that her feedback is that not many people really want to do it. And it kind of raises that question of you can't be what you can't see. Um, What remains is that it's a really complicated topic with so many different opinions on the way forward. But I was left thinking it's so great to see such a detailed piece. It's very rare that you see such a, a long Um, a long read on on a topic like this, it really goes into, um, he he also goes and looks at, you know, who's doing what in different spaces and talks about some of the um, mentoring pathways that have been mooted and and have started. So I would highly recommend you go and read it. We'll um, tweet a link. Did you guys have a chance to have a look at it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did and I nodding thought it was, doesn't work, does it? We're no, nodding no, doesn't no. work. I thought it was interesting because it um, obviously there's so many parallels with, mm, you know, with the co- women. women in the AFLW pathway mm. stream as well and um, and the query and the question about um, quotas, but I thought it was really interesting as well on, on the uh, podcast, I think I heard this, not... I think it was on the podcast talking about looking at the NFL and how they actually have a quota that of um, African American um, candidates that are required. It actually has a name. It's, it's named the Rooney after rule. the Rooney Rule. And, there it, go. It, and so yep. you need to interview a certain number yeah. of um, yep. African American yep. candidates for those roles. And um, I don't think we would ever see that here. I just don't. Yep. And I think it's a different. It's a different culture. And but it's also a different population proportion as well. Yeah. Yeah. But terms. if you look at the AFL, I mean, there are so many Indigenous. Players yeah, who I think it's become, about 14%. Yeah, yeah, they become the greats of our game. But and, don't count, coach, But yeah. at the same time, there's mm. all the same questions that I ask about female coaching mm. pathways. Like, Absolutely. why would you want to? Yeah, yeah. What Show, really, demonstrate why yeah. you would want to What's take the that. Advantage? The first man through the wall always gets the most bloodied. That's what Patrick Hill always says to me. Mm. Mm. I really liked the fact, though, that it acknowledged how complicated it is and that it's not always a one-size-fits-all 
response to everything. And I think the more that, you know, when we're looking at ways to increase equality for everybody in a space, you need to be really open to understanding there's got to be a whole range of measures. We've also been conditioned as a society to believe that only white men can lead us. Yes. Like you hear this when they query, they ask people who play AFLW, who do you want to coach? Do you want a woman coach or a man coach? So we want the best coach. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So who do we have experienced as the best coach? Well, we've got 159 years that tells us that it's a white man. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming back to that merit conversation again, aren't we? It just can't, we can't escape it. Do you remember, I'm I'm probably going to get the name wrong here, but was it... Do you remember the um, Indigenous umpire a long time ago who was Glenn James? Glenn James, thank you. Mm. Um, I at the time just remember that you know the bravery of that man because as an umpire you are, and you were definitely in that time period, an absolute target. But mm-hmm. it was horrific the things that people would yell and <sighs> and you go well I wonder why there's not more no kidding you know Indigenous umpires coming through like you know he was an extraordinary man. Extraordinary. Mm. By the yeah. way, what did you think about four umpires? I didn't even count. No. <laughs> no. It didn't make much of a difference visually, did it? I mean, it seemed like a lot of extra colour there. but It's just more people to touch. Oh, it's yeah, true. It's going to make it or harder. Not touch. Is, it? is Dusty yeah. going for that? I haven't caught up on that. I think news. he got a fine. fine. He got a fifteen hundred dollar fine. We will now, for henceforth, be calling it the Dusty Rule. So can so you can touch an umpire if it's Dusty. <laughs> can he still win the brown low? Yes. Okay. Can you fend off an umpire? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> don't argue. Don't do that. Hey, do you want to have coffee with um, Bevo Felicity? I would love to. I just don't know that I can afford it. <laughs> oh wow. Um, yeah, well, no, I can afford the raffle ticket. But uh, the Western Bulldogs are having an, offic- an official uh, raffle and third prize. You know, sometimes third prize is better than first prize. Third <laughs> prize valued at $4,000. Like <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, third prize is valued. That was to you. Okay, pay attention. Sorry, please. sorry. Stop it. Stop it, girls. Third prize valued at $4,000 is coffee with Luke Beveridge. How did they value it? Why did they call it a beverage with beverage? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Missed opportunity there. A Luke a bev with beverage. A Luke warm beverage. Um but it did send me down the wormhole of um, fan experiences and what clubs offer and what I've discovered is a whole lot of clubs like the Swans, North Melbourne, Carlton, Adelaide, GWS etc. They they run raffles every week for um, raising money for their own foundations and um, fundraising activities to, to support charities um, where you can win match day experiences like match balls, guard of honour, access to the change rooms, etc. afterwards. Um, the Coffee with Luke Beveridge was, a I guess, a, a high-end one, I thought. But then I saw that West Coast... Um, in one of their raffles, they're, they're offering also valued at $4,000. So someone needs to work out how we value these things. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, for $4,000, um, the chance for you and three friends to play kick to kick with two players of their choice. Oh. Like the club chooses. You don't get to choose. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Is that like an hourly rate that they're working on? I'm not sure, but it begged the question. I saw some amazing um, stuff on socials this week of um, Emma out having kick to kick with um, Steph Carroll and Meg Hutchins. <laughs> and I'm just wondering. That was free. Was that free or that did you free. have to pay them but for that? But it them or something, though. They got Do a free know, ride to the MCG. No, they drove me. <gasps> God. They called it a Hoover, Hawks Uber. Nice. But this is so. This was my thing. Hearing that, what would you want if you could pay four thousand dollars for an experience that your club could give you? Because mine would be the opportunity to design merch for women. Oh, nice. Oh, yes. Uh, Well, I totally would want something other than coffee for four thousand dollars. It'd have to be a good champagne, and and beyond that, I mean, let's at least start there. Really, a coffee? Like, can't they wait? Me and Cyril going to the movies. Just you're watching something and just hearing his take on it. Wow. Does, does it Gold class? To, gold class, totally. But, you know, I, I got to kick with Jonathan Hay, who, the <gasps> former Hawthorne and North Melbourne player, because he was a, a, a coach, a, a trainer, and um, we just kicked for weeks and weeks on end. We just played kick to kick. And he's like, don't you want to do any push-ups? I'm like, no. Nah. It was one of the best things of my life. How, huh? much, how much would you pay for that? Well, it was just a normal yeah, personal exactly. trainer fee. Yeah. It was amazing. I wow. actually used to play kick to kick with Ken Judge when wow. I was about 12 because I used to always get to training early and he was the promotions officer, which was a token job that allowed him to finish early in time um, to go to training. And he would play kick to kick with me in the gym That's many so times, wow. many, many times. What fan experience do you want? 
I can't go past that merch. That sounds really fun. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd actually, thing, do you know Liz. what? I would actually really love to sit in a coach's box. Yeah, that would because be I would yeah, really wow. love to just hear what goes on, and because my little brain can't kind of take in all of the different stats and things yeah. they have on the screens. And remember when we yeah. had dinner with Josh Gibson and we paid for that? That was a raffle thing. That I was, found that super awkward. I, I didn't actually yeah. have a good time. Yeah. I wasn't I didn't sure like whether it. to bring did that you? up or not. But yeah. yeah, I did. Did you like it? Do you know it? what? I've I got did. a I've got a question about the Bevo one. I'm going to put, you know, there's been a bit of talk on SEN on the breakfast show that they haven't been able to get Luke Beveridge on all year and some questions about whether the Bulldogs aren't really making him available. And so I was wondering whether they could maybe win it. Oh, that might be a way to do it. That's a great idea. Like, like, let's get him on yeah. here. Let's That's see. Nice. Remember, we saw him here and he said he wanted to come on. Let's get it. I know. Let's but then we, the got the shut down. then we got yeah. the gatekeeper. Mm. The gatekeeper yeah. said Dave. no. If but you're if listening, gate- Luke, we'd love to have you on. I know. How do we signal him? Yeah, I, I guess through the pod. Well, you if can anyone, find us on Twitter. Take him to the movies. If any of our listeners get the Bevo with Bevo, tell him that the, yeah. the offer's still here. Do you know here. how we signal him? We just, like, project a big cup of coffee up into the clouds. Nice. What do you reckon he'd drink? It's the Bevo oh. signal. Is he, I'm thinking, is he a latte guy or kale, more an espresso? Kale juice. It'd be soy. A broccoli soy. coffee. Bro- have, you been watching, have you been watching the uh, World Cup from your sick bed, Alicia? I have. And because I was sick, I've been up at all sorts of hours. And I just so quickly want to go through. There's so many highlights that, of course, we all read during the week when uh, Mexico won against Germany. <laughs> it sort of registered as, uh, you know, on the Richter scale. The last time that kind of happened is when uh, the Outer Sanctum knew that the AFLW was coming. That sort of registered <laughs> on, the, on the Richter scale. And have you seen uh, when England won their fans in the street just annoying everyone? Imagine if England win the cup. Mm-hmm. They will just be – they were being friendly, but there was just video after video after video of English people annoying other people by just – Shouting and screaming, but it's such joy as well. Oh, there was a brilliant um, meme sort of doing the rounds of um, that said the the English team had visited a rough and orphanage, and then a quote: "It was so sad to see despair in their eyes from Vladimir, aged six. Oh, no, yeah. he was talking about the despair in the eyes of the English, of the English players. players. Oh, <laughs> oh, come on, play along, girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I but, thought that was a bit dark. They always have to be losers, don't they? I defy you not to be uh, moved to tears, though, with Japan winning and uh, the Blue Samurai and the crowd just going, Nippon. Mm. It was so mm. beautiful. There's so many highlights. Didn't and Iceland have a win too? Yeah, yeah, and everyone is just in love with them. And apparently the TV coverage was something like 96% of the TV at that time was turned on to that game. It is a game that brings the world together and I just have been so excited. Unless so you're at the football. Um, I... On the World Cup, there has been some research done. Uh, Associate Professor Kim Toffoletti, who's also a friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. She uh, did a piece in the conversation about the representation of women in or the female fans in a lot of the media surrounding the World Cup. Um, She looked at the fact is that the numbers of female fans have grown, gone through the roof. More, uh, I think about 40% is the current for the World Cup in 2014 were, were female fans on TV. And, of course, women's football is, is booming around the world. But she said if you Google World Cup and women fans, all you'll get are half-naked women with, you know, covered in the um, – well, not very well covered, but uh, wearing national flags and, you know, painted up but largely naked and sexualized, And that this is becoming a stereotype of the female fan, particularly in the World Cup. Um, she had a look at all, you know, images from the 2014 World Cup and said the most popular were women represented in that way and these – highly sexualized images. So one thing she said is that um, sexy fandom, which is a thing, is celebrated as a form of individual expression and personal style, reinforcing the wider cultural expectations for young women to present themselves in sport contexts that do not threaten men's primacy, which I thought was really interesting. But what she said was that, you know, there's um, if you look at how search engine algorithms reinforce this cycle, gender and gender composition in newsrooms contribute to it as well. The language in the articles as well. Yeah, yeah, that it reinforces these gender hierarchies in sport, which is going back to what we've been talking about the whole show and pretty much our whole, um, this whole podcast. Um, 
and her recommendation was the media really needs to provide a more diverse representation of female sports fans if there's any hope of shifting the Im- imbalance. And I, I just, I, honestly, do the Google, <laughs> do the Google, and and see. And it really is overwhelming how distorted that representation well, is. Well, because it's 99% of women like us just loving football and yeah. that's across the world. And there's probably the 1% of the sexy fans. I, imp- you know, I applaud your... Uh, the way you express yourself, good on you, but does that have to be 99% of the coverage? Absolutely. It's interesting because you remember there was that time when you used to watch the cricket and they would always throw to vision cameraman. of cameraman yeah. throwing to vision of the women. The one, or the, they'd oh. choose one person and zoom in on them. Yeah, and them. I don't think they do it so much anymore. I think no. there's definitely been mm. a memo. Yes. I'm only laughing because do you remember in the early 80s <laughs> That cricket, they just went, oh, my God, and they zoomed and a dog pooing in the grandstand. I oh. do not remember that. Yeah. And that stayed with that? you. That's that stayed with me as a kid. That is hilarious. Yeah, they panned to a dog it pooing must, it on It must have been ground. a test match. In an episode themed about equality and inclusion, let's start from the ground up, quite literally, with shoes. We don't talk about shoes enough on this podcast. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the interview. Laura Youngson is passionate about gender equality in sport. So passionate, in fact, that she has gone to the ends of the earth for it. Now she's turning her entrepreneurial skills towards something all footballers need, proper footwear. So joining us with Laura today is her co-founder at Ida Sports, Ben Sandu. Welcome, Laura, and welcome, Ben. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Laura, we interviewed you last year about something quite magnificent that you did. Can you remind our listeners what you got up to last year at the top of the world? So we had this absolutely wonderful adventure. We went to the top of Kilimanjaro and we played the highest altitude soccer match ever. But we did it with all women, uh, female referees as well. So it was absolutely fantastic. And how did you top that? So uh, at the end of the whole big adventure, we actually had quite a flippant comment from one of the journalists. He was like, oh, ha, ha, now that you've played at the top, you should go and play at the lowest altitude match. And uh, uh, His Royal Highness Prince Ali of Jordan watched the <laughs> segment and said, yeah, you should come and play at the Dead Sea. So oh, wow. we couldn't turn down that invitation. So this year, this March, we went to Jordan and we played a match on a, a new pitch near the Dead Sea. Um, inaugurated the the pitch for the community and had this incredible adventure from the highest to the lowest. Oh, wow. So amazing. And I imagine that the events themselves would be worth their weight in gold. Like just you could easily justify doing it again. But there's a driving force behind each of these world record um, events. Do you want to tell us what's what what was the um, what was the idea that drove it? Mm, really? So I think world records are amazing for getting people's attention, but actually what we wanted to draw attention to was that uh, there are gender inequalities that exist in sports still. So there is a huge pay gap. I think we saw recently that Neymar gets paid um, the same as 1,700 women, professional Mm. female athletes, which, I mean, by any metric, that's something that I think we can change. Um, You look at facilities, women often are forced to train on different pitches, have worse facilities, have um, the kit is always a bit of an afterthought. The Irish team, I think, has to wear the men's kit <laughs> before matches because they haven't invested in it. Um, and also for me, there's this kind of, there are a few role models in the media. So you look through the sports pages and actually we're struggling to find these women that are absolutely incredible and doing incredible things. So all of this together meant that I sort of stood up and thought, oh, you know what, it would be great to do a world record, but it would be great to draw attention to some of these issues. And I think what we've seen since doing the climbing mountain is that you've got two national teams that have said they'll do equal pay. So Norway and New Zealand have given equal pay for their soccer teams. And then Lewis FC in the UK is the first club team to have said, yes, we'll we'll give equal pay to our women. So it is possible, it's happening, and it's really exciting to see the change. One of the other things that you've done alongside those events is you've run community camps. Mm. What have they been like? Who have they been for? Uh, so absolutely incredible. And really in Jordan, this is where it all came together because we realised that we have this great convening power to bring together different organisations. So um, one of the best camps we ran was in a very conservative area in Jordan. Um, and they'd sort of said, no, we're not 
don't want to bring any girls and the girls themselves were saying well it's shameful to play and actually we brought them together and in the end we had 270 girls turn up many of whom had never kicked a ball before just having the most fun and realizing that actually we've got Jordanian athletes there female athletes showing them that you can play you can get something out of the sport you can really enjoy it um, and the Jordanian team unfortunately didn't qualify for the World Cup, but they're really pioneers in their country and absolute heroes for these girls who just want, you know, the love of the game and being able to step onto a pitch. It sounds amazing. Um, and I know, you know, breaking world records is one thing, but it, you're involved in another initiative um, driven by the same impetus. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so actually I inspired myself on Kilimanjaro and um, decided that with everyone kind of attempting all these amazing challenges, I would really go into the entrepreneurial space and try and give it a go to to make some football boots. So I look, I've always been frustrated by this. I go in and I, I always have to buy kids boots and they tend to be a bit rubbish and hurt my feet. And I was asking around to my friends and realised that actually it's a problem for a lot of women. Um, and so I knew nothing about shoes when I started. I know a lot more now. But I kind of decided that, yeah, it would be great to give this entrepreneurial venture a go and see if we can make a better boot for women and get it to the market. And Ben, this is where you come in because you're involved as well. Your background, I think, is more cricket. It is, yeah. So I actually uh, played semi-professional cricket in London uh, and I met Laura through a mutual friend of ours. We were playing indoor soccer together. Um, and when she was telling me about the problem, it was just, you know, as a guy, it was completely foreign to me. Um, you know, I grew up playing hockey and cricket and if a shoe didn't fit, I'd just go back to the shelf and buy another one that did fit. Um, so it seemed like a ridiculous problem and it's been super humbling over the last six months meeting players and coaches, like women that have struggled with this for a long time. And the more I've dug into it, the more I just think, it's crazy that no one's done anything about it before. So, yeah, it's been really amazing working with Laura over the past six months and I was privileged enough to go to Jordan as well and, and see some of that social change in action. So, yeah, I feel really lucky to be involved. So tell us what specifically about the woman's foot that makes it, you know, not um, for some reason the boots not uh, accommodate the ones that are out there, but also what's so special about these boots? Yeah, so it's, um, it was something – it was a bit of a surprise to me when I started looking into it and um, I've seen – so women actually have fundamentally different feet to men and to kids as well. So we have narrower heel cups, um, the different sort of width of our foot, the length of our foot, which is often why when we talk to women, they're like, oh, yeah, my boot didn't fit, so I had to get the smaller size, but it hurts my toes. And we're like, yeah, well, we know. Um, and things like we have higher arches, and especially for playing sport, the way we pressure load because we've got wider hips. Um, that's really important of where you've got your cleats and where you position your cleats. And what we've seen is this revolution that's happened in running. It's happened a bit in cycling where you've got women-specific footwear, but it hasn't really happened yet in football. And for me, that was a sort of a big area that's been overlooked. Is it something that could um, have an effect on injuries? So there's, we're reaching kind of the limits of our research, and I think the more should be done, especially with more women playing the game. Um, and I think that's one thing that we're, that's why we're working with podiatrists and physiotherapists is that we want to make the best boot that we can, um, with their advice and what, what we can do to really improve the situation. I think I saw a quote saying that, um, the answer is not to shrink it and pink it. <laughs> and, um, I like the fact that you've actually gone and asked, um, athletes what color they'd like in their boot. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not anti-pink, but we've had a lot of feedback about pink. Um, so for the starter boot, we're making a black-on-black boot, which uh, is what we asked people what they wanted, and that's what they wanted. In the future, we could make pink, because we have had a few people request it. <laughs> Including so, our podiatrist, yeah. yeah. She's, she's a big proponent of pink. But. but we wanted to start with a classic boot um, that really people can kind of get behind yeah. and really enjoy. So how's it working, Ben? What, how, do, how does this all happen? You guys don't look like you own a big factory. Or, and you're not backed by <laughs> not backed any by very big, big media moguls or anything, are you? No, no. no. That's the thing. We're, we're working outside of um, some of the bigger companies that have existed. And we, I mean, Laura and myself, we're both kind of quite entrepreneurial. We, we, we've developed a pretty good network within women's football, both codes now. Um, and really this whole thing's just been driven by the community. So as we've gone out and spoken to people from various kind of elite and, and more grassroots teams, they've just said it's a great idea. And so we took it upon ourselves to think, well, how can we make this happen? Um, so we launched a crowdfunding campaign um, just over a week ago. 
um, set a target of $35,000 to basically enable us to go to a factory and, and produce this. And currently we just ticked over 14 grand yesterday. So wow. we're, we're feeling pretty good at the moment, but still, still a lot of work to do before the, before the end of the month when it finishes. You're also involved um, in kitting out girls around the world um, with these boots. Is that, I was reading that if, because you can uh, donate to the, um, to the crowdfund, but even if you don't want boots... There's an, a program available to, to kid out other kids? That's right. So one of the things we wanted to do was um, do something like a Tom's model, you know, where you can buy one shoe and give one shoe. But if you don't play women's sport but you really love what we're doing, then we know so many women and girls that would really love a pair of boots. So you could buy a pair of boots for someone else um, and really support their journey uh, as an athlete. And this is AFL and soccer. It's both right? AFL and soccer because the the very similarities between the how you run and how you um, work with the codes. So um, yeah, we really we're sport agnostic. Uh, we we love both, <laughs> love playing both as well. We'll put a link up to the crowdfund site and hopefully people will get behind it. How much longer have we got? When's it cut off? So it closes on June the thirtieth. So you've got till the end of the month. All right. So there's a bit of time. So are there any other big events or world records on the horizon? Well, funny you should mention that. We were just talking with our team. We just finished wrapping up the Jordan Quest and we started looking ahead. There's the Women's World Cup next year in France. And there's a really great opportunity to bring together a lot of different groups that are campaigning. So we have a big challenge in the works, which I can't tell you any more about. But watch this space. Um, but, yeah, it would be great to hear from um, soccer players especially that are interested and kind of piqued their interest because we've got some exciting things happening. You've brought lots of women from all around the world together on all of these different ventures. I'm interested in knowing if you still stay in touch. Is it a big, it's a big network? Ben can answer this. He's on the WhatsApp group. It's, it's true. So there's, there's a WhatsApp group with, a, with around about, is it 50 or 60 oh, women wow. from around the world? And um, there's a lot of banter. So I, I played in a match, uh, unfortunately injured my knee during a, an overzealous goal celebration. And <laughs> just yesterday I was getting a lot of, a, a lot of uh, flack from a Bahraini international and a Tunisian international, all sorts of things. So we're very lucky with the the group that we've got. Are there common are there common um, challenges that female athletes are finding the world over? Mm, it was really interesting actually bringing everyone together and how much they expressed that the challenges each of them face in the different countries are to are the same to a di- different sort of extent. But actually, the challenges you face in Jordan being an athlete compared to being a referee in Scotland, you're still facing very similar issues of kind of even from being taken seriously, um, from trying to make the sport your profession, from how you're reported on um, and what people, what kind of things people say about you, how, what language they use to describe you. So I think it was very heartening for the women to to come together and share these issues and challenges. And then what we've done is built this platform upon which you can all stand together and you have this network that supports you to challenge some of the, the little things that can change. And if people want to follow that part of your work, Laura, where do they do that? Yeah, so we're at equalplayingfield.com. Um, and you can see some of the work we've been doing. We're also on Instagram, quite active on that. So you can see all the pictures and get excited about the trips. It was so good to have Laura and Ben in the studio. If you want to be part of that and actually buy some shoes or help with the GoFundMe, you can go to the website, Indiegogo, I-N-D-I-E, G-O-G-O.com. And that campaign ends on the 30th of June. They were actually extraordinary. They've been popping up all over the place, but Mm. what a great thing to get behind. Um, Now, I just wanted to say something about a friend of the pod. Shiloh Curtis was at TEDx um, this week and she was speaking about the AFLW. She did such an extraordinary Mm. job and I think that watching her do her TEDx talk was a real moment because you realised the depth of her involvement in creating the AFLW. And to be honest, she hasn't really been celebrated um, for that. And so it was a beautiful moment to step back and watch her talk about the history of it and I've just got a tiny little bit that I want to play for you now courtesy of TEDx Sydney. As a five-year-old girl I was pretty good at moving my arms and legs and I could play football really well but it was around this time that I realised that my time and place in history 
meant that I would never get to play the game professionally simply because I was female. It was when I started school that I discovered it wasn't just my house that was gendered, it was the whole world. Everywhere around me, I could see doors that were closed to me, and the message was that to be female was to be deficient. This diminished my confidence and my sense of self-worth and left me feeling angry and frustrated, but determined to change the world around me by speaking up for girls wherever I could. Well done, Shiloh. We will always be cheering you from the sidelines. Amazing. Alicia, there is an, there's something special coming up. That's right. And I just wanted to say it's World Refugee Day and our heart goes out to all those people in America at the moment, but especially to uh, people here as well in Australia who are in detention, detention all around the world. So World Refugee Day. Um, two things I wanted to mention. Um, there is the football players with intellectual disabilities are pumped for AFL Inclusion Carnival. Now that starts this week. Um, it's across the country. So there's teams from Northern Territory, New South Wales, ACT, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, Vic Country and Vic Metro and WA. Um, the teams are represented, uh, you know, with such a groundswell and force and it's an amazing thing to watch. It's this week. Go For more information, go to the Ws.community. Dot AFL and we'll put that up on our socials but um, there's been some real rough and tumble and um, some great games over the years so uh, it'd be good if you can get along to that. Secondly, you may have been watching SBS or NITV lately and noticed that there is Nyunga Footy Magic. Of course, Nyunga Footy Magic, it documents the lives and careers of five game-changing Western Australian Nyunga Aussie Rule champions. Uh, People have said every time they asked where an Indigenous player was from, they all said, I'm a Nyunga from WA, so they (laughs) needed to highlight it. And there's Polly Farmer, Barry Cable, Nikki Winmar, Jim and Phil Cracker and uh, their stories of triumph. The last episode airs tonight. Uh, The Shinboners had their great story last week with the Cracker Brothers, but um, tonight we get to look at Nicky Winmar. So he's a Noongar man from uh, Pingley or Pingley, WA. Someone's mm. going to correct me on that mm. one. Uh, in, you know, in 93, he became an Indigenous hero when he was photographed responding to a racial crowd by raising his shirt. So watch that on NITV. I'm sure you can Just do catch, catch up, up as yeah. well. Just on that too, a friend of ours, Sean Gorman, wrote a really great piece for The Guardian on why he he does think that Perth is a really good place for that statue of Nicky Winmar. So we shared that on our Facebook page last week. The other thing that's coming up this weekend is the VFLW Pride game in Hamilton, which was absolutely extraordinary last year. Um, so if you can make the trek, make the trip, it's great to see Pride out in country Victoria and in all of the country and regional areas as well. Um, we've been getting a lot of love from all of you and I just want to do a shout out to Daryl Holden and who is a long time listener and he messaged us this week to let us know that um, we had in part encouraged his daughter Eloise to have a go at playing footy and she took her first mark this week and I know that Daryl will be listening with his girls in the car on their way to netball and um, I just want to do a massive shout out that we are just so supportive of you so you go girl. Um, If you have applied for tickets for our live show you'll be notified in the next 24 to 48 hours Um, we are so excited we cannot wait that we're going to see you and eyeball you all but we will also endeavour to Facebook Live some of the show. It's our first attempt. Yeah. But we'll be gentle. Be gentle. We'll try and do some of that. So you can, if you're in other states and territories or if you miss out on a ticket, you can kind of join in at least. But of course, the podcast will be available the following day. So we're looking forward to oh. it. We're a bit nervous. A bit nervous. <laughs> nervous. Nervous. Alicia, you have to wear pants. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah no. I know. It changes everything, doesn't pants it? Pants or undies? Because you know that's what I mean. Very different for Alicia. <laughs> Can we not use that word in this podcast anymore, please? Knickers. Knickers. Um, we want to go out today, and I want to give big ups to Paula Ferrari, who posted this on Twitter. But when Eurydice Dixon died, and that is not the ending that should have been her life, and nor should it be the life of anyone, um, that we don't want to just remember her as someone who 
had that horrible ending at Princess Park. We want to remember her for what amazing stuff she was doing. And I heard this piece of stand-up that she did, and you may well have heard it too, and Paula posted it on Twitter, and I heard it. And I just thought, she's one of us. Mm. Um, It's a great joke. And, you know, I think it would be really nice of us to remember her today for what great stuff she was doing. And being a stand-up is really hard, but she was nailing it. So this one's for you, Eurydice Dixon. Bit of a tendency to worry a lot about, about, about things that I shouldn't worry about. Sometimes I worry... going to end up in a slave society. <laughs> you know, just girly things. <laughs> just normal shit, right? We worry. <laughs> but we should. <laughs> we really should. It's not going to happen for ages. <laughs> we'll all be dead by then. <laughs> it's not going to happen until the robots take over. <laughs> but I can't stop worrying. Right? In my mind, I'm like, shit. I'm trying to be more optimistic. So I'm like, slave society, that means no one has any rights. We'll find we have gender equality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.